This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. You're listening to Sharmila Ganesan and Lee Chui Lin. Tonight, would you join the armed forces? Do people see this as a viable career? So this comes as the Defence Minister fielded a question in Parliament about whether the Malaysian armed forces could be the answer to youth unemployment. Uh, first, we're going to discuss the push and pull factors that determine whether people want a career in this field. And then later, is it realistically appealing for young people? So tell us, would you join the military? And do you think it's a good career? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note, or WhatsApp at our U mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. It is 6.08 and uh, on Tuesday, there was a discussion around our armed forces in Parliament and Defence Minister Datuk Sri Mohamad Hassan or Tokmat was asked whether the ministry plans to increase the number of Malaysian armed force personnel to meet the employment needs of our young people. So the response was quite a full-throated one, I think, because it didn't just address the question itself, but had a larger point to make about the the military. So the Defence Minister said no quota has been set when it comes to the recruitment of MAF members. He said instead recruitments were uh, were based on adjustments to the number of members whose services had ended through early or compulsory retirement. He did say, though, that currently 3,000 positions could not be filled because of the pandemic, as well as the issues with finding training spaces for members... Uh, Uh, here he is. Pengambilan dia tidak ada kota tetapi dia mengikut kepada penyelarasan berapa orang tamat perkhidmatan dan itulah yang akan diambil diisi. Uh, Datuk Pertua uh, dalam keadaan-keadaan uh, yang biasa Kalau orang berhenti katakan 6,000 lebih orang satu tahun, kita cuba untuk ambil 6,000 lebih orang satu tahun. Kerana ini merupakan uh, waran perjawatan yang telah disiapkan dan kita tak memerlukan untuk memohon waran perjawatan baru. Uh, untuk kita isi, dia memang waran perjawatan tu dah ada. Tetapi terdapat sedikit uh, masalah semasa zaman COVID pada tahun 2020 Walaupun yang bersara hampir 7,000 orang Tetapi yang dapat dilatih pada ketika itu kerana kekangan uh, Sebab COVID punya kekangan uh, Kita cuma dapat mengambil tak sampai setengah Ataupun 50% Jadi dalam keadaan sekarang ini Kita masih ada kekurangan lebih kurang 3,000 orang anggota Ataupun jawatan yang belum dapat kita penuhkan kita nak menambah pengambilan untuk satu-satu tahun tu pula Datuk Pertua kita mempunyai kekangan tempat latihan kerana kita terpaksa buat berfasa-fasa tempat latihan kita tak berapa siang sedia ada tidak mencukupi So the minister also explained that before COVID, around 6,500 to 7,000 people were recruited to fill the vacancies in the armed forces. Uh, these are members who had retired and then went on to talk about the reasons why uh, people may not want to enlist. Here he is again. Memang Akata Tentera betul mengiklankan pengambilan setiap tahun. 
pengiklan dan dalam masa-masa biasa lebih kurang 6500 ke 7000 lebih orang diambil untuk kita mengisi kekosongan orang yang bersara. Tentera ni dia dia ada skim jangka pendek tu betul. Dia kerja 15 tahun, 12 tahun, umur 40 tahun dah berhenti. Jadi ini masalah banyak orang tak nak masuk tentera. Terutamanya minta maaf cakap no malice behind the statement. Uh, banyak bukan bumi putera dia tak nak sebab kerjanya pun 24 jam satu hari ya yeah. uh, memang susah gaji pun tak berpada uh, the minister then uh, went on to also expand and say that less than 3% of our military uh, currently consists of non bumi putras mm. so When we talked about this earlier this week uh, on Popit Popit Parliament, the the responses were really interesting. We heard from people who had served. Uh, we heard from people who, you know, still saw it as a as a viable option or saw at least joining the civil service as a viable option. We'll come back for some of those messages later. But I think that um, overall, the question of the military is an interesting one, partly because at least in Malaysia, if I compare it to somewhere like I think the the most obvious comparison would be America, mm. uh, where there is a sort of active, ongoing campaign to get people to join the military, where it's seen really as a very viable option for people of different education levels, where they are afforded certain levels of support, um, good pay. I think that the the comparison between those two countries, uh, well, that country and ours, it, it's quite telling and interesting in terms of how we think about recruitment in this area. So... Actually, that's what we are going to be talking about for the rest of the show. Um, what what is it that um, what is it that what is it about the military or the armed forces that perhaps isn't uh, necessarily offering that kind of pull factor, um, as well as some legacy issues that have come up multiple times over the years? Uh, we will be joined after this by Nick Mohammad Rashid Nick Zurin, who is a former researcher of um, defence and national security issues. Uh, but in the meantime, we want to hear from you as well. Would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight. Eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Banana from Malaysia. BFM eighty nine point nine. The business station. It's 6.15. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And following um, a discussion that happened in Parliament earlier this week, we're asking you, would you join the military and do you think it's a good career? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Nick Muhammad Rashid Nick Zurin, former researcher of defence and national security issues. Rashid, good to have you with us. Hi, hello, good evening. So, in Parliament earlier this week, the Defence Minister gave a pretty thorough answer about this issue of recruiting for the armed forces, including the fact that there's been a dip due to COVID, uh, that there aren't a lot of non-Bumiputra joiners and so on. What's your take on these remarks? Do they represent a lot of what you've observed when you were researching the armed forces? Right. So, I think uh, overall... Uh, I mean, we have to understand the context under which the answer was delivered, right? So first of all, this was YB Sabah Burnham's question on whether or not 
um, the armed forces could be used as sort of a recruiting platform to give youth jobs, right? So that was the original context of the answer. And so the answer that was provided by the ministry and was prepared presumably by the MAFHQ was centered around answering that particular question. So there was a, not a lot of room for to sort of under, under describe or go, go into detail too much about some of the more nuanced you know, factors underlying the dynamics of this issue. But I think overall at a glance, I think Tokmat's answers are fairly matter of fact and, and are, 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 some, I would say, uh, you know, at a glance, it's factually correct. But of course, I guess in this in the interview that we're having today, I think we're going to have to unpack some of the things that he did not manage to say in parliament. So as you referred, uh, the initial question that prompted this response was rooted in whether the recruitment to the armed forces would be a solution to the issue of youth unemployment. Um, and I guess that leads to the larger question of whether this career path is one that is seen as appealing to most Malaysians. Right. So I think this is, I think Tokmat has sort of, in his, in his hand, so in, if you look at the parliamentary hand, I think it was very clear about a few things, right? So number one is, of course, the, the emoluments or the remuneration package offered by the armed forces is not seen as competitive. Uh, but number two, most important, he caveated that with another important qualifying statement, which is that for the amount of effort and work that you are expected to do in the armed forces, right? So you're being paid not that high a wage to do a lot of things. It's a 24-hour job. And I think what's getting at here is true, right? So, like, if you compare uh, the starting salary of uh, an enlisted person, right, which is about 1.5K basic, and as an officer, you get make about 2.5K, you compare that to competitive private sector jobs, that's not a lot of money. And in a private sector job, you get a 9 to 5, you get to go home at 5. Whereas in the armed forces, it's like a 24-7 job. Um, so I think... There, there is an economic, underlying economic issue here that has to be explored, and I don't think enough has been said about it. Lah. Yeah. So beyond that economic issue that you just pointed out, um, what are some other common issues that you, you hear about as to why people don't want to enlist? Right. So I, I think just taking a step back here, so there are two tracks to enter the armed forces, right? So enlistment is one of them. And then the other part is commissioning, right? So enlistment is when you join the military as a private and then you can wake up all your way up to becoming a corporal, a sergeant, and then eventually ending your career as a, a warrant officer. And then if you commission, you start off as an officer, right? So you start at the rank of lieutenant, then you can work your way up to being a general. And I think that's, I think the answer that I have to give you here is a bit comprehensive because we have to unpack this and then go into a few other things, right? So the fact that there are two sort of, and this is common in all militaries, right? There are enlisted personnel and then there are commissioned personnel. And the discriminating factor between the two is basically your level of education. So to become an enlisted person, the minimum requirement is SPM, STPM, diploma. To become a commissioned officer, you need at least a tertiary uh, degree, undergraduate degree. Uh, higher, the better, right? So this fundamentally makes it a class issue, in my opinion. Because if you think about it, who is more likely to have an undergraduate degree? And is usually you're looking at maybe upper part of B40 and, you know, and M40 and T20 onwards, right? So you're kind of having a self-selection issue where fundamentally people who don't have better access to education are self-selecting into the enlistment part of the military. And of course, people who are tend to be better educated and tend to become from higher classes, uh, education level, sorry, they tend to commission into the military and you get this disparity, right? So when we talk about the rate, like, so one of the things that, that, that Tokmai also raised was the fact that, um, you know, 3% of non-Malays uh, make up the military. Uh, and then I think uh, the Tan Sri, General Tan Sri Afendi Buang sort of made this statement that it was actually, the, the number is actually closer to 14.47% if you include non-Malay Bumi Putras. So I think the disparity, I mean, some would point to racism, which I think 
exists in the military, but not in the way that most people think. I think the bigger issue here is, of course, fundamentally this class issue, right? So if most of your most of the Malay population exists sort of in this B40, upper, uh, lower middle 40 part of the income group, then they are more likely going to self-select into the enlistment part of it. And then that's why you see, the, because if you look at the enlistment versus commission rates, you will find that in the commissioned uh, pathway for, for uh, recruitment in the military, you will find that there are actually a lot more non-Malays than you would think. But you don't see them at all in the enlistment part of it, right? So there are not a lot of privates, corporals, and sergeants that are non-Malay. But if you go lieutenant and above, uh, in fact, all the way up to three-star general, you will find actually, uh, you will you will be surprised how many non-Malays you can find. And I've had the privilege of actually working with them while I was in MINDEF, uh, you know, many years ago. So it's, I, I think that's sort of the, actually, that's really the underlying issue here, right? I think if you ask non-Malays in, uh, in, in, the sort of upper B40, middle middle 40% income group, I think you will find that some of them do have interest in being part of the armed forces. Some of them end up being in RMC, and they from RMC, they end up in UPNM. I think, uh, so in the armed forces, there's this famous family, right? So Admiral, uh, the two-star admiral called uh, Admiral Chan, uh, his three sons all went to RMC with him. Uh, they all went to RMC, and they all ended up in US military academies, and they're all serving officers, right? So I think it's... It's it's a to to me like it's 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 fundamentally that economic and class issue. Now, does racism play a factor into it? A anecdotally, I'm able to say yes because as many officers I've spoken to before, I mean they have felt they have felt those kinds of microaggressions. They've felt that their careers have been hindered back. But see that 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 also doesn't tally with the fact that there are also many anomalies that make it very very far into the, the armed forces, right? So there were at least one or two three-star admirals and generals that I know of uh, that just recently retired from the armed forces. So that, of course, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, right? So, on that point about um, race, actually, we do hear this about uh, the civil service, the police force as well. One side will say that the applicants are lacking. The other side often says there's institutional racism. Now, how much does perception factor into this? So I think you've kind of hit it on the head. I think the perception definitely, insofar as it discourages people because they think they will face racism, I think it is a valid factor that needs to be addressed. But I think when you what you find is that when you actually enter the civil service, I think your promotion has a lot more to do with the internal political dynamics that sort of affects everybody equally, regardless of race. I, I've seen like I've seen this happen before, both in Mindef in terms of like the actual civil service and the actual members of the military. Uh, the, the perception, yes. So perception, insofar as it discourages people, it does affect uh, their sort of their decision, their career decision to either enlist or commission. But once you're actually in the military or in the civil service, I think the, the issue tends to be a lot more on internal sort of bureaucratic dynamics. Uh, you know, there are a lot of office politicking uh, within within both the civil service, the military, and the police. So I, I mean, I, that, that's how I look at it. Yeah. So when we spoke about this a few days ago, a listener called in to share her experience of her daughter getting a job, not in the Malaysian context, but in the Australian Armed Forces, and then specifically again in administration, in an administrative position. So when we talk about careers in this area, in the local context, is enough focus given to jobs like these, or is it all heavily focused on being uh, a quote-unquote soldier? Actually, so that's a very interesting question because if you look at the breakdown uh, in the armed forces, for example, in the army specifically, which is the land component of the armed forces, you've got about 80,000 personnel. About half of that is in the combat services. So infantry, armor, artillery. So people who are actually involved in the fighting. And I would say at least another quarter to another half are actually in non-combat areas. So, uh, you know, this is where you get people like uh, people who do signals, cyber warfare, 
people who do uh, medical medical work, right? So military doctors. Uh, you have a lot of administrative clerics uh, and you know administrative officers. You have people who manage um, logistics, uh, engineering, construction. So I think the armed forces, whether or not there is enough jobs or whether or not there is enough focus on these particular non-combat, or as they call it, uh, combat support and service support trades within the military. I think that question is ultimately for the military to answer because it's a question of how the military sees threat, the threat perception and how it sees strategy. But I would generally say that uh, in the armed forces, it's there are opportunities like that that do exist. And as a matter of fact, I think a lot of normalities now that I think about it are in those service, uh, those parts of the service. Yeah. So earlier you referenced the um, the starting pay um, and, you know, quite shockingly low in comparison to the private sector. What keeps the pay so low, actually? So I think so. In, I think so. There's an important nuance here also, and that's the fact that even though the basic pay is low, there are a lot of allowances. And the other thing is, of course, if you serve in the military, they cover food and board. So I think if you if you want it to be a complete uh, apples to apples comparison, you have to sort of factor those things in. But if if um, but overall, I think one of the reasons why uh, it's kept it that you know, not to say depressed, but I think it's not just the military; it's also members of the civil service, right? Um, and again, the, the the distinction between enlisted versus commission is also a thing in the civilian civil service, right? So you can start at a grade 41 and become a panolong setiausaha or assistant secretary, or you can start at a clerical grade. And you will find that across the civilian um, civil service, the military and the police, you have these distinctions between commission and enlisted and universally across all of them because all of the pay scales are determined by GPA or the public service uh, department. Uh, they're all universally at about the same level and they're all universally low compared to the private sector. And I think part of that problem is, of course, we have a very, very large public service body, right? You've got about 2.3 million public servants when you include the military, uh, the doctors, the teachers and so on. Uh, and I think if the government, I think fundamental, and don't, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't know for sure, but I would imagine that one of the biggest considerations is if you raise it to competitive private sector wages, then the cost of government balloons completely. But anyway, to begin with, when you look at the federal budget, the emoluments, the wages, the salaries of civil servants take up a disproportionate amount of the budget anyway. And if you have to actually raise that level, you know, the 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 the, the wages to a competitive level, you may find that the cost would balloon completely out of control. So we're talking about this in relation to careers, but also young people specifically. And being a part of the armed forces comes with a certain idea of patriotism, uh, ideology. In today's setting, is that appealing? How much does this shape how people might think about a career in this field? So I, so this is an interesting question, personally for me as well, because, you know, uh, I mean, I, I have a career in national defense that I had to leave because of political reasons. But I think at a certain point, um, remuneration matters, right? You cannot feed a hungry population on populism uh, and you know, in, in, on, in, on patriotism and populism. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that you... May, I mean, so the, the question that the, the armed forces, GPA has to ask itself is, and, and not just for the military, but throughout all of public service, right? Because it's not just the military that has this issue. Can there be a little bit of room to sort of improve the emoluments, the wages, the salaries, so that it is maybe slightly below competitive, but competitive enough, right? Because, you know, the question is, I mean, the universal problem faced by a lot of young people is the wage that they're being paid, even sometimes in the private sector, is not commensurate with inflation, not commensurate with rising cost of living, right? And the question now is, of course, how do you square the, the two sort of different imperatives? I, I, think it, I think a lot of people are actually 
patriotic and those who self-select into public service tend to have a little bit more patriotism than the average person. But even that has a limitation, right? So you, you can't just expect people to forever just go into the military, to the police, into the civil service, being 100% patriotic and sort of ignoring sort of their basic needs, right? That, that, that doesn't make for a good formula, in my opinion. Rashid, thanks for speaking with us today. All right, thank you so much. That was Nick Mohammad Rashid Nick Zurin, uh, a former researcher of defence and national security issues. Um, we would like to hear from you on this. Would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note, or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for your messages. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM eighty nine point nine. Be free minded. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we've been talking about the armed forces and whether that might be a potential career path, particularly with young people struggling with unemployment. Uh, This comes from a conversation that first began in Parliament on Tuesday with the Defence Minister then um, sort of outlining some of the challenges when it comes to recruitment for our armed forces and our our military. Um, So we are... We'd like to hear from you. Would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have a caller on the line. Good evening, Vijaya. Hi. Good thoughts? evening. Hi. Uh, I was just, uh, I'd just like to share my thoughts on this. I mean, we say there are fewer or less known Malays in the military. I mean, first of all, I'd like to say I have the highest regard for the military and the armed forces. But if you are going to look at the numbers, I mean, why are they so few Indians or Chinese in the military? Then let's go back 30 or 40 years ago. Why were they more? What is uh, lacking here? You know, what is the real underlying problem? Uh, are we less patriotic or what it is? I mean, if you're talking about wages and remunerations, I mean, our dads and granddads had to pay bills and feed children and, you know, school kids and things like that. They also had bills to pay. If you're talking about the standard of living then and you're comparing it to now, of course, there's a vast difference. But again, they also had bills to pay. And also, is it really wages and uh, or whatever uh, institutional problems that may be within the military you really have to go down and look deep down inside and look at these causes and have the courage to address them. And uh, if there are any internal problems within the army, um, there should be zero tolerance to anything that impedes the involvement of uh, other races joining the army. Vijaya, thank you for those thoughts. Um, if you'd like to weigh in, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We are asking you: Would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? I think um, Vijaya's point is really uh, is a is a salient one and an important one to bring up. I also think that, and this is just a thought that has branched off from that. It's not necessarily a response. I think that in general, the issue of nationalism and patriotism in relation to the military is a hard one to discuss. Uh, partly because I I think that. I think that it kind of cuts both ways because it's almost as if we are on the one hand saying the people who protect the country need to be paid better. True. Um, but then it can also 
as you move along, as you branch out, morph into if you don't want to join the armed forces, you're not patriotic. Um, and that, I think, is a little bit more complicated because people might have feelings about nationalism and about the role of a military that don't relate to how they feel about the country and its sovereignty. I agree. I think um, it is perhaps a little unfair to judge patriotism or loyalty to the country based on whether someone wants to be part of our military or not because that might be very different. It might be about your own opinions about mm. war, for instance, uh, or what a defence uh, system should look like. Um, but I think actually the point, uh, that point that resonated with me from Vijaya is yeah. the zero tolerance to anything that impedes other communities or races from joining our armed forces. I think that's absolutely um the direction that we should be heading. In fact, we should already be there. Yes. And then if that's the case, then we can have a different sort of conversation about why it is that there's still a lack of diversity if there is, in fact, still a lack of diversity. Yeah, it strikes me that as long as the race factor remains a part of the conversation, it's very difficult to address anything else. It's very difficult to address pay or benefits because if your first argument is racism, how do you move ahead from that? Yes. Um, so we have um, a few people. Well, let's start with this from Adam, who's saying the military industrial complex is not the answer. Our military is kept at a high standard and we should keep it that way. Only during war should we expand. So um, I, I think that the just, just to clarify here, we're not talking about expanding. I think the problem is that because of COVID um, and now because of a lack of training space, there hasn't been an ability to keep up with the normal amount of replacements. So we're still talking only about replacement rate. Yes. We're not talking about expansion. Yes, in fact, the minister did specifically say that the number of uh, replacements that they're able to take in has uh, dropped. Mm. Um, we have KW saying, I did consider joining the army when I was younger. Almost everyone I spoke to said, Aya, why the army? Join the police. La. More opportunity to make money. That is a... Um, that's a pointed remark, I think, a little bit. Um, we also have, speaking of the police, a separate message that was brought up uh, earlier earlier this week when we discussed yep. it on Parliament. Um, we received a number of messages that we didn't get to at the time. So ZY says, I'm 28 years old this year. I just failed my PDRM interview last year, knew that the salary is not high to begin with, but I'm still very interested to join the force. I think the, the appeal of the armed forces for a, as a career, at least for the more idealistic minded individuals like me, is the sense of responsibility and pride of being affiliated with the bodies of uh, the uniform that one is in. On the note of race, I'm not seeing a lot of Chinese applicants in my batch. The same can't be said for the other races. Being Chinese myself, I naturally gave some attention to the applicants in my batch, but there were literally only three people, uh, three Chinese people among 50-something applicants with me. I wonder if the perception of race and favoritism among the force plays a role here in the lack of Chinese applicants. I can't say for other races, though. And so this is, of course, in relation to PDRM. We're talking today about the military. But I think in that wider sense of civil service and what kind of numbers we're seeing across the board, it's still uh, it's still a relevant point. I think perception goes a very long way in convincing people to... Um join in, in, in thinking of this as a career path and if you don't see people like you in 
the armed forces um not only might it seem daunting it might then feed into these existing narratives around race and exclusion that you've probably already heard which is being brought up as well by Lam who says the armed forces is not a good career choice for non-malays because of ingrained racism my late brother quit uh, at the rank of major when he was 35 because he said the next promotion would take 10 years or more he has seen younger and less competent bumi officers promoted ahead of many other non- Malays due to this. I also have friends who resigned from the armed forces due to being passed over pr- for promotions even though they were far better qualified. How many non-Malay generals if any are serving now? Um even the Patriot President Brigadier General Muhammad Arshad has said discrimination is very prevalent. Um I think I mean we hear these sorts of accounts coming out and certainly I think part of that is what feeds into this uh, perception. I'm glad though that we are hearing um even even the minister acknowledging that this is an issue. Um and I think it may not seem like enough but acknowledging it is perhaps one step closer to handling it yes and then hearing about this in relation to what we heard earlier from our guest um Nick Rashid about how there's a difference between there's a difference between levels and the socioeconomic class that you come in at and so at and at the officer level for instance i believe he was saying you actually see more non-malays the word the phrase used was you see more non-malays than you would expect now i think the question though is that that's at the point where you join um and what lam is referring to is how much you can progress mm. and so the word nuance has been used a lot in today's conversation but i think it's important to keep bringing that up because even when we're talking about things that can feel as blunt force as race the nuance of this matters So, send your thoughts through. We will continue the conversation after this. We're asking you whether you would join the military. Do you think it's a good career? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 0187898899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Business filled minds, BFM 89.9. It is 6.47. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. Uh, we are talking about the armed forces and whether it is a viable career option for um, our young people, particularly given the issues of unemployment that we're currently facing. And we're asking you, would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? You can call 77332900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. And uh, we still have many messages coming in. So James says, with the degrading geopolitical situation, particularly in the South China Sea, I think more young people should join the armed forces to guard the nation's sovereignty. So I I think that this is, especially when we talk about young people and wanting to appeal to young people, I'm not certain if this is the way to go. I'm not. It's not because I don't think that young people cannot care about the nation's defenses. Um just that it I, I'm not sure that it is top of mind. Yes. Um and I mean the narrative that often is used when it comes to the military um is really that of service, isn't it? Um I think um and that perhaps is the That perhaps is the pull for many people versus um this sort of may I use the phrase hard sell? Mm, yeah. yeah. A little bit. Um we also have Kevin 
who says with that salary, no wonder people aren't joining. They deserve a higher and fair salary because they're our first line of defence against external threats to our country. So that is in relation to, let's talk about the numbers again, because when when our guest earlier brought up the starting salary, for the military. Both you and I were shocked. Yes, um, we we really were. In fact, I actually, in our little chat, double confirmed with you because I thought I'd heard the numbers wrong. It's 1,005. And then 2,005. 1,005 uh, and then 2,005 once you're an officer. That is not okay. That's not okay. Surely the that's not okay. The caveat being, of course, they get room and board and they get benefits. But still. still, when you compare it to private sector, for instance. Yes, and then... And then it also kind of highlights why the issue of retirement is one that is so painful to discuss. Yes. We also have... Well, I wanted to get to this one from Ro, who firstly um, praises the guests and then says, the village peoples in the Navy did make me want to join at one time. <laughs> now, this Ro, you're not the first person this evening to have said, at one point, I thought about joining. At at one point, I did want to be a member of the military. I want to unpack that a little bit. I'm very curious about that. Um, meaning, I, I'd like to ask a further follow-up question, I suppose, to our existing one, which is, well, did you, A, did you ever want to join the military? What made you want to do that? And then what made you not? Because I, I'm thinking about how... I'm going to go back to America. Um, how the recruitment tools that you see in America, aside from the fact that you have lots of army brats and you have people who grew up in the military, essentially, but it's also a lot to do with pop culture. The fact that shows and movies, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, um, you know, <laughs> really sell the notion of what it means to serve in a very particular way. And I wonder for us locally, what is the driving thing? Is it just like when you see a police officer on the street and you go, oh, I want to be a police officer. Or is it more than that? So um, actually, there is a voice note from uh, Raj Kumar that really lines up with your pop culture point. But I also wanted to say, um, I don't know about you, but certainly the narrative around people like police officers has changed significantly since even when I was a child, yeah. right? Uh, the, ooh, I want to grow up and become a police officer, ooh, I want to grow up and join the army. There used to be a kind of aspirational quality to that, which I think has changed in today's conversation. And I think it's worth looking at why that's changed as well. Yes, uh, uh that's why I highlighted it because truly we have, I don't know how old our, our listeners are, but we've had, I want to say, you know, something like four to five messages from people saying, well, I did think about it, mm. but then I decided not to and then offering an opinion. And I, I guess I'm just, you know, kind of doubling back and asking you, okay, so you decided not to. If you want to share, how come not? Well, um, on that point about pop culture, though, here is Rajkumar. Hi guys, I think we can make um, the military more uh, exciting in terms of joining. You know, what comes to mind is uh, lack of a better examples, like when uh, Forrest Gump wanted to, uh, you know, was thinking of what to do next, and then we saw that signage of that Uncle Sam to say, "We want you." So, I mean, something like that is going to make it more interesting and, you know, to showcase what the military really does and uh, maybe some cool weapons and so on. I mean, these are just my uh, thoughts uh, in terms of getting more people, you know, from all races to join the military at this point. 
Thank you for that, Rajkumar. Um, I mean, that lines up with, I think, the point you were making, Lynn, that actually... Um, not just in the US, although that's the most obvious example they of this. They go the hardest. They do. Um, the military is framed in very particular ways to make them viable career options. But I wanted to add to that, um, of course, as, as, as Raj says, um, showcasing the cool things that you might get to do. Many of them are also supplemented with things like scholarship programs. Yeah, yes, you know? yes. And I wanted to say that more than the opportunity to to do cool things or, or even that notion of service, something like a scholarship, the promise of coming out of serving with a degree or a master's can go such a long way. In theory, and I'm saying this as somebody who never once considered a career in the armed forces, uh, partly because I'm, I think in many ways, ill-suited, <laughs> ill-suited for it in in so many aspects that I, I, I won't bore you with it. But um, I think that in theory, if you were in a well-functioning system, you could come out of military service with an incredibly strong education, feeling that you have done something good for your country and potentially for the world and peace as a concept, um, you know, however it is that you want to you wanna think about that. Uh, you will have traveled. Uh, you will have comradeship. In theory, there are lots of wonderful things potentially about doing this. I don't know that we sell those things here though. Yeah. Or at least not as strongly as we could. Um, not that I've necessarily heard of. Um, not that is actually made apparent to people. Because if we're talking about recruitment, then this has to be information that people actually know about as well. Um, we do have, actually, I wanted to get to this, which was a message from um, a couple of days ago when we did the parliament session, when we covered the parliament session on this. So Asfar messaged him then to say, I would encourage my children, if I have any, to join the uh, army. If they can't join them full time, sign up for Watania or the reserve force. Uh, talking about universities and the armed forces, they already do have programs where students in public unis can join the army, navy, air force via the Palapes program. So that yeah, uh, that's partly what we're talking about. Although this is recruitment and not necessarily putting people in school. Yes, exactly. So yeah. this is this is not. So I'm talking about, in a sense, um, giving something back to the the people who choose to do this um, as a. I don't want to say as a way to to kind of bring people in. Um, but I do think that when you talk about something like the army, yes, on the one hand, patriotism, service and so on. But what's in it for me? And I think that's a very valid question to ask. Uh, do keep your thoughts coming. We are talking about, um, well, would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? But to pick up on Lynn's question, did you ever want to? Um, if you, and then what changed your mind? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio, BFM 89.9. Birkins for Mama, BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we've been asking you, would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? And did you ever want to when you were younger? What made you change your mind? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, we do have a voice note that has come in uh, during the break. This is from Atika. Um, right after SPM, I used to see adverts on um, joining military 
um, but then I realized that it's only for men. <laughs> uh, that's probably the thing that put me off because I think in the US, uh, men and women can actually join the military force, but not in Malaysia. Um, so that's probably a bit off tangent, but something to consider, I suppose. Uh, thank you for that, Atika. I mean, to just to correct that a little bit, women can join the military in Malaysia, but I still think that point about what the adverts target yeah. and what they, the narrative they put forth is, is very interesting and also very important. Because that is a very straightforward reason as to why I might not want to join. Yes. Uh, in fact, coming from somebody who sounds like they might have been interested. Mm. Um, we also... We have a few interesting messages to close off for now because I think that these all bring up really good points. Bob says, I'm an army brat. My father served for 35 years from before independence all the way to the time that the CPM laid down their arms in 89. And he always saw it as a privilege. Part of the issue with recruitment is that the armed forces are underfunded and undercapitalized. We remain a military primarily geared to fighting in the jungles and very little in other domains. Our Navy and Air Force remains under-equipped to fulfill their mandates to defend our territorial interests. And the lack of attention from successive governments make the armed forces less attractive. It's one thing to be paid less. It's another thing to not be provided with the tools and gear to be effective in your jobs. The Armed Forces is a great career for those who have talent and interest for the outdoors, passion for organizational effectiveness. If not for my eyesight, I probably would have served. Bob, thank you for that. Um, I, again, like Lynn, not someone who has ever considered um, a career in this field. Don't think I'm cut out for it. However, I think those points about um, people who love the outdoors, who have a passion for organizational effectiveness, I think that's such a great way to talk about what exactly it is that should be a pull factor to join uh, the army. I really love the mention of if you don't give me the tools to be effective, then what is the point? Because that's also very fair. Yes, it is. Um, we have a number of people bringing up things like uh, retirement benefits and so on. So Legion says, compulsory retirement for the army is 38. These people join straight out of school. Chances of promotion is slim. Ma- majority retire as a non-commissioned officer with little skills. Their pension is only one third to half of their base salary. A lot of veterans I see work as security guards or drivers or farmers or labourers. The sadder cases I've seen is an elderly um, army veteran with no citizenship despite serving in the Sarawak Rangers fighting communists. Sadly, he's died while still holding a red card. If this is how we treat our veterans, then what incentive do we have to join the army? Similarly, Vimalan says, many wanted to be in the army when we were young and foolish, aborted the plan when we realised that idealism is most of the time not practical. Not enough money, not enough recognition or status. Security guards after national service, which is a very similar point to Legion. And um, I think hearing directly from the horse's mouth, really, we have Chang who has written in uh, both earlier in the week and today. So earlier in the week, Chang said, I joined the armed forces from 76 till 89, completed my service at a time when we were fighting the communists. I feel that the government does, does not respect the service of the armed forces. They don't give much appreciation for the service we have done. A few years back, the government said that those who had served during the era of fighting communists would be given a Pingat Jasa Malaysia to honour that service. The application was handed in a few years ago until today, nothing seems to be done. It's only sweet talk. We just want recognition for the service we have done to the defence of our country, nothing more. Uh, today, Chang says, it's not worth it to join. As a veteran, I feel that the government doesn't treasure the service and sacrifice that we've done. Only the, those who serve 21 years are pensionable. Those who serve 13 to 18 years, no. Chang, I'm 
Very sorry to hear that. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Um, And really, I'm glad that you're highlighting these issues. I would really, really hope that they are addressed. Um, We are going to be talking about whether the uh, armed forces are a viable career path for young people. After this, we will be joined by Major Mio Rosli, the president of Pertubuhan Suara Patriotic Rakyat Malaysia. Uh, But do keep your thoughts coming. Would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. And keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Best for money, BFM 89.9. It is 7.14. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we are closing off our conversation on the armed forces and whether they offer a viable path um, for young unemployed people. Um, And... Keep your thoughts coming. You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. So earlier today, our producer, Kelly Anisa, spoke to Major Mio Rosli, the president of Pertubuhan Suara Patriotic Rakyat Malaysia. Here's that interview. Hi, Major Mio. Thank you for speaking with us today. Hi. So the whole show today is really a spin-off from a question that came from Sabah Burnham MP Kalam Salan, who wanted to know if the Defence Ministry had any plans to um, increase the number of Malaysian Armed Forces personnel to accommodate the employment needs of young people. Um, firstly, what do you make of this suggestion? Um, well, if you ask me whether to increase the number of the Armed Forces personnel, uh, I, I'm not the right person to answer because... Uh, uh, to increase the military, there are a few factors that that, that uh, the the Ministry of Defence had to look into. And number one is the uh, the strategy of the threat, and uh, you know the present threat and the future threat. And then we they have to talk about the military balance, you know, and in, in comparison with our neighbours' uh, armed forces, and the uh, uh, and thirdly. Uh, probably if they, were, if they want to increase the show of force, they can always do like Singapore, where, where they, they have a lot of this volunteer reserve um, coming in into the military uh, for, for, for a short period of time. That is make, make everybody compulsory to join the military before they, they, they go into the public sector or the, the private sector. And, you know, just bouncing off that suggestion, at least, um, for, for young people who have trouble finding other jobs, how common is it for them to think of the armed forces as an option? Well, this, uh, for the young people to join the armed forces, the, to me, the armed forces is not, is not an option, the last option. Well, it can be an option, uh, but the armed forces is... Uh, it's not easy to enter the armed forces, and it's not easy to to live on and uh, living in the in the armed forces, because uh, if you do not have the the spirit of maybe of the nationalism, of uh, loving the country and sort of thing, uh, I don't think a person can last long in the military. And and to enter the military itself, the 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 tests are very uh, stringent because. Uh, they have to go through the physical test, the mental test, and, and also the endurance and also the academic test. So uh, the military, I don't think if you want, if people want to join the military just like to become a clerk, it's, it's, not, it's not just like that. 
Mm. And you know, you you mentioned all these tests that they would have to take um, to join. Um, but what sort of qualifications um, does a person need to have when they are when they enlist for the military? Well, uh, during my time in those days in the seventies, you know, and uh, uh, pe- people with, with to enlist in in in, in the uh, other ranks, uh, they just need to have a standard six qualification. But as time goes by today. And to be a, in those days, to be an officer, you, you need a, a school certificate. Yeah? And today, uh, to be a, a, another rank, to be enlisted in another rank, you, a person need to have at least a, a school certificate and to be a, or a diploma. Uh, and to be an officer, you need to have a degree. Uh, that is the, the basic uh, academic qualification. The other qualification is uh, your physical structure, your your physical build. I mean, your height, your weight, and uh, it, it must be uh, a standardized uh, to the requirement of the armed forces. And and then uh, you must be able to, to to pass the physical test that been provided during the interview. So it's not just that easy. To uh, to be in the military as an option, and and not everybody will pass, you know. And do you think there is enough interest among the youth in joining the military today? Um, you know, how has this changed from the time you joined? Well, it depends. You know, uh, it depends on on the uh, at that at one point of a time in 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 the nineties, uh, you know. When there there the shortage of job and a lot of youth are unemployed, um, uh, there are a lot of applicants, you know, uh, to to join the military. But uh, the effect is that if if they are not prepared to be a soldier, um, they will not last. You know, they will not last. Uh, either they they absent themselves or or, or they. They, they would leave uh, at a premature uh, age from the armed forces. And this is bad for the armed forces too. Uh, because all my children are already working, so I, I'm not sure about what is the uh, uh, employment status of the, of the country today. And, and also the, the opportunity of other openings in the, in the public service and also the civil service. But... I knew that that uh, in, in in the 90s, early 90s, or late 80s, uh, the uh, people are looking for job, you know, and uh, they just go, you know, in in every military interview, I would I, I could see that um, there were thousand and thousand applicants, and 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 many were, uh, you know, fail uh, to to be accepted in the military. But to, to join the military, you know, basically the person must have a very strong nationalism. And, and in, in those days, it's because of their father, their grandfather, their uncles are in, in the service and they are proud to be there and they, they want to join the service too. And off air, you mentioned that your son has also joined the military, um, but that was 12 years ago, and that you know back then the numbers, yeah. number of applicants were tremendous. What do you think it was yeah. that um, appealed to people back then to enlist? See, you see, eh, d- during my time, uh, the, the, the armed forces recruiting team 
have to go down to the kampong, to the school, to promote uh, asking people to join the armed forces. Maybe because in those days we we are fighting against the uh, the communists, you know, and and people see in the papers soldiers die, aircraft get shot off, you know, things like that, and 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 not many people are interested to join the armed forces, but um, and and that's why the the recruit the recruitment team have to go to the school give lectures to to the school children you know inviting them to join our forces today you don't have to you know i, I mean uh, 12 years ago 12 years ago uh, you don't have to when there is a open uh, interview with thousands of people and and most of them have you know uh, have a recommendation from from uh, generals things like that you know to get to get them through, if not, they they have a tough uh, you know tough fight to uh, to get the job. Talk to us about some of the reforms you'd like to see from the military, specifically those that might make it more appealing to younger people. The military, you see, uh, to to join the military, usually uh, boys especially, but today in the military there are there are many women too today, you know. Um, to to join the military is is about the interest, you know. Interest people like to be, uh, you know, like uh, they, they want their adventure and things like that. And and this kind of thing, uh, I think the school has to play a very important role uh, in educating the, the the school children, especially when they join the scouts or the cadets in the in the school. But but if you can see today, even the scouts and the cadets, uh, they do nothing except uh, drills, you know, marching and drilling, and uh, nothing much that that interests them to be in the military. That's what I I see today, you know. And uh, many of the uh, candidates, you know, who apply, uh, they they usually fail during the. Uh, physical and, and, and the mental test. So the minister also alluded to the fact that there is low interest among non-Bumi Putra um, to enlist. Uh, what is the best way to address this? Well, I I see it like this because uh, this thing has never changed, you know, because m- most uh, non-Bumi, if they join the, the armed forces, they... They 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 want to 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 have a, a proper career, and most of them join as technicians, or pilots, or a, a seamen, where uh, they have th- th- this kind of qualification. Most technical um, uh, corps, uh, uh, we we can see more non-bumi there, uh, but but then the. Uh, uh, the main, the main bulk of the army, for example, the army we have the Royal Malay Regiment, but the Royal Malay Regiment is only exclusively for the Malays. That is uh, in, in in our federal constitution. Yeah, it's written in the constitution that the Royal Malay Regiment belong. But uh, we also have the same inf- infantry uh, group, which is called the Rangers. Uh, which are equivalent to the uh, Royal Royal Malay Regiment, but uh, like, like I said to you, most non-Bumi 
they do not want to join this kind of because you don't have much future, you know. Uh, after you you serve as an infantryman, what do you do? Nothing. Yeah, this is where the armed forces have to uh, to be a bit more open and to. Uh, uh, there, there are so many courses in the in the armed forces, you know, the technical things and and every skill, you know, before they leave, make sure that the armed forces uh, can can give a license or permit to that particular skills. But some of them they have the skills, but if, if, once they leave the armed forces, they they are not able to practice it because they are they do not have a, a proper uh, recognized certificate or, or, or permit uh, or license for, for that matter. And you've been fighting for veterans' legal rights for the last nine years, and this includes the issue we've been seeing about their pension as well. So all of this can be a bit of a turn-off for younger people who are looking to enlist in the military. Are these, um, you know, are these reservations justified? I, I, I don't think so, because the pay in the military today is, is quite... Uh, quite handsomely paid, you know. Uh, they, they have uh, like like we used to to have for for, for a second lieutenant during my time is only only five hundred ringgit, and today uh, a second lieutenant is, is getting about two thousand more than two thousand ringgit a month. You know, it's uh, it's four times than uh, the pay that I used to have. So uh, uh, I think. It is not that. It, it, it is about the policy, you know, the government policy, how the government uh, would like to do, you know, to uh, to make the, the armed forces more interesting. Even the police also is the same thing, you know. The police are the public service. For the police, they can only serve 10 years and they can eligible to apply for pension, but not the military. The inner military, you have to serve... 21 years before you want, uh, you want. This thing needs to be changed. And then uh, for pardon, those military people, for example, if you steal uh, one kilogram of, of sugar from the cookhouse, you've been charged and you've been dismissed from the discharge from the armed forces and you get nothing. And not only you, your, your spouse, your children will get nothing for the rest of their life. Whereas... In, in in a government servant, even politician, if you if they go to jail, they can be after five years they have been pardoned, and then after five years they can become the prime minister. Also, it doesn't matter, but not in the armed forces. This is is it fair? Definitely, it's not fair. Major Muir, thank you for speaking with us today. Yeah. You were just listening to an interview with Major Mio Rosli, the President of Pertubuhan Suara Patriotic Rakyat Malaysia. Uh, and that was our producer, Kelly Anissa, speaking to him. Uh, do keep sending your thoughts through. Would you join the military? Do you think it's a good career? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. BFM 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.